Welcome to the Capital Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm your host uh, of the Capital Beach. And we are coming today for uh, episode four or segment four of a five-part series on American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and Coastal State Organizations, uh, Joint Policy on Beach and Inlet Management. I'm joined again by Rachel Keelan, the Federal Affairs Director for CSO, and Tony Pratt the president for ASBPA. Really excited to be again talking about one of these critical issues, uh, critical policy issues facing our coastline. Today we're going to be talking about development, basically where we should be building and where we shouldn't be building and how we can change policy to address that. Um, And really glad to be talking uh, with my past organization, ASBPA, and my current organization, Coastal States Organization. So uh, before we dive in, quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at CoastalNewsToday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Okay, great. Uh, thank you. Uh, again, really excited to have Rachel Keelan with CSO and Tony Pratt with ASBPA. And, and we're talking about uh, point number four or segment number four, development uh, along the coastline. Obviously a critical uh, policy component to how we manage our beaches and shores and inlets is is where we place buildings and structures and infrastructure. Um, a lot of issues to go into here. Uh, Rachel, maybe you want to kick this off and, and talk a bit about what this policy is asking for at a very high level before we dive into some of the specific bullets. Yeah, great. Thanks. So this policy recognizes that our coasts are facing big changes with sea level rise, lake level change, and increasing coastal storm intensity, which really all drive additional coastal hazards, including erosion and inundation. This policy is recommending measures to responsibly plan for these increasing coastal hazards um, in coastal development to address issues um, existing high-risk coastal development and to utilize resilience of natural systems for infrastructure and coastal adaptation. Thanks, Rachel. And uh, you you mentioned lake level change. This is probably something we should have uh, referenced in each of our different segments. But we do consider the coastal zone, um, as the Coastal Zone Management Act does, uh, we do consider... uh, Great Lakes states. And right now, Great Lakes are facing um, some rapidly uh, rising levels, or at least some of the lakes are, have been. Um, and, and some of the, the challenges that our, all our coastlines are going to face with sea level rise have been seen sort of most immediately on the Great Lakes coast. And I think um, what we'll be talking about today certainly applies there. And I think some of the challenges that they're facing um, and maybe some of the policy solutions that might, might help them uh, on the Great Lakes coast will be influential on the, the saltwater coasts too. Um, as you said, a changing environment, uh, coastlines are dynamic, and we need to reflect that in how we make policy decisions about where people should and should not build. Um, we got a, a six different bullet points in here. Each of them have some sub-bullets. So if, if this conversation piques your curiosity, I'd encourage you to go to the ASBPA or Coastal States website and check out the full policy. Um, but the first policy that we are going to dig into 
is, uh, as a number of them are, relate to FEMA. And so I'm actually going to go ahead and, and read this out because it's a little bit complicated, but I want to dig into it and, and have Rachel explain this a little bit. So uh, what we recommend is that uh, FEMA should provide funding for relocation or removal of structures that are under eminent threat of collapse due to shoreline erosion and or tidal scouring, including by, we offer two per- two pieces here, authorizing national flood insurance claims for structures under eminent threat and establishing a FEMA program to pay for relocation or removal of structures under eminent threat of loss due to coastal erosion. So, um, Rachel, uh, what does this policy mean? How is this different from sort of the way NFIP works already and and why is it important? Yeah, great. So this policy is really addressing an existing gap in um, addressing shoreline erosion as a significant coastal hazard. So while we have some things that are addressing coastal hazard, for example, the Army Corps, or not coastal hazard, but shoreline erosion, um, for example, the Army Corps can address erosion with erosion control measures such as seawalls and other hardened structures or living shorelines and natural infrastructure. And FEMA has hazard mitigation programs that can be used to implement some erosion control. These really, um, there's really no federal program to assist property owners who have properties that are experiencing um, severe erosion, including severe chronic erosion, um, such that relocation or removal of the property is really the safe safest and best option. Um, So think of a house that um, used to be set back from cliffs along a coast, but are now about to fall off of them due to chronic coastal erosion. Um, Here, the burden falls solely on the property owners and the states to address them because there really isn't any federal program. So uh, the lack of a federal program to address this issue really leaves property owners in a sticky spot with a property that is unsafe, but they may not be able to leave it because they can't resell the property. Um, Even if the property owner does leave and is able to absorb the loss of the property, the structure still remains and is an imminent hazard of collapse and basically into the ocean. So this policy is recommending that FEMA utilize and expand the existing national flood insurance program, which addresses uh, flooding issues, but, you know, doesn't cover um erosion at this point, but it it helps assist property owners in addressing um, flooding when it occurs on their property. Um, So here, we're basically suggesting that um, they also assist owners in w- who have erosion impacting their properties. Um, we're also really recommending that uh, FEMA establish a new program that would provide assistance for the relocation or removal of structures that are threatened by coastal erosion. Um, these two pro- um, policies together in complement will enable property owners, many of um, which purchase their properties long before erosion was a threat to really relocate their homes or other structures and to make or to make the hard decision to leave their property and have it removed without having to absorb the full cost of this. So ultimately, this will prevent owners from um, maintaining property property until it's essentially falling into the ocean. Um, and property removal will enable states to um, prevent redevelopment on these properties that are experiencing high um, high erosion um, and implement better setbacks. So I think this, yeah, thank you, Rachel. This this really does address two issues, as you mentioned, two gaps, sort of an existing policy. One is uh, where there are homes that are not in flood zones, but are essentially threatened by flooding and inundation. So if you can think of uh, houses on on the top of cliffs or bluffs, you know, if you can picture those sort of iconic houses in California or or along the um, 
you know, Lake Michigan shoreline. I was talking with Tony earlier and he, he reminded me that, you know, there's even some pretty high level bluffs out in, in uh, Cape Cod and Massachusetts. So it's not just a, a West coast and great lakes issue. They're not in a flood zone, right? They're, they're very high elevation. Uh, but the scouring that waves and the shoreline do to, um, due to those cliffs and bluffs, uh, put those houses under threat but since they don't have flood insurance they don't have sort of a national policy to help them uh, uh, relocate the other piece that i think is really important here is is authorizing claims for structures under eminent threat not that have already been damaged and so one of the challenges is if if uh, if uh, if you have the flood insurance and your building has been damaged or your your house has been damaged um you can work with fema to get uh, money to relocate you don't necessarily have to um, rebuild as it is. But the problem is that money only comes because it's insurance. It only comes after the damage is done. So if you've got a, a situation where, you know, a, a retired couple is looking to, um, leave, you know, leave their house and their houses in this, uh, you know, coastal erosion zone, um, but it has not been damaged yet. They can't access any funding from FEMA. So from, so they need to sell that house and maybe the, the new, the new family that moves in gets damaged a year later, well, they don't want to move. So you've got a situation where the people that are interested in moving aren't able to access uh, FEMA funding for a house that you know that that is is definitely under imminent threat. So trying to address that challenge. Um, so uh, we'll keep running through some of these. We've got some a bunch of policies in here. We certainly uh, highlight the new building resilient uh, infrastructure communities, the BRIC program at FEMA, which we, we highlight is a really good new program to help uh, support uh resilience programs and, and making sure that natural infrastructure is part of that. We talk about how FEMA can better align the community rating system credits to help manage uh, beach communities at a system better. Um, but the next one we want to talk about is actually goes beyond just FEMA. And I think this one is really important as we, we see a new administration come in. And that's requiring that all federally funded programs and all federal grant programs for coastal adaptation and relocation um, so these programs could be administered through the Department of Transportation, Housing and Urban Development. You know, these aren't your sort of traditional environmental or coastal agencies, but they do administer grant programs or or provide federal funding um, for coastal infrastructure or coastal housing. We want to make sure that those programs are allowing for beach migration and allowing for uh, public trust, access, and making sure there's uses. So I, I'm going to talk a little bit about what this means, and I'll turn to Tony to provide some context for you know how this might play out uh, locally. Um, so this is the idea that you know if you have a coastal road, um, there may be money from Department of Transportation to uh, to help that road adapt to sea level rise. But if you simply elevate that road and the coastline, which had been abutting that road, now retreats, that coastline becomes literally underneath the road, and therefore you lose much of the value of that coastline, right? So if, if you've got a beach on one side of a road, you cross the road, you use the beach, but if that beach retreats to be underneath an elevated road, that beach loses a significant amount of its value. And so we want to make sure that agencies are thinking about what the value is of the coastline when they think about how to adapt the infrastructure in place. So certainly a complicated thing. Um, I don't think we have a specific uh, policy prescription for each agency. We just want to make sure that each agency is, is thinking about how they plan their adaptation to sea level rise and to inundation and to coastal storms um, in a way that maintains the the sort of the full value of, of the coastline because coastline is sort of a 
you know, is is a public uh, is a public right in in many states and and at least to some level uh, across the nation. Tony, a uh, big broad topic there. I would love your two cents. You've been working on um, coastal challenges on on the Bayshore and the ocean side in Delaware for decades. Um, I'm sure this is something you've you've come across or at least thought about. So, any any thoughts on this issue? Yeah, it's it's admittedly been very frustrating. I think over the years to see having worked closely with the Corps uh, and, and secondarily with FEMA over the years after storms to mitigate against the uh, dynamics at the coast, dynamics being erosion of land, erosion of bluffs, uh, uh, episodic events that, that like Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Andrew, Hurricane Katrina, that, that drive the train on this because it's these major disasters when, when so much change occurs. And there is the impetus uh, to many of the of the national uh, efforts to restore roads, restore bridges, restore uh, everything immediately to what it was the day before the storm. Uh, while uh, and the communities too, you know, they've, they've zoned land to be this is residential land, this is commercial land, and that's the expectation it'll stay in that in that condition forever. Uh, we we know that the dynamics of the coast. Uh, these lands, through the dynamics of the coast, these lands are temporary. Uh, it may be on decadal or even century uh, timeframes, but they are temporary lands. And uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't bode well to say that 100 years from now, South Bethany, Delaware, oceanfront will still be in its same position. It, it, it probably will not be. 100 years ago, it wasn't the same as it is today. We just have to look back in time. So aligning, uh, and I, you know, the the agency directives to say, understand that there is dynamic conditions at the coast, that there is change afoot, that there is temporary nature to these lands and that we should be planning for this. And I'm very much encouraged by the new administration coming in the Biden administration that there's going to be tremendous emphasis on climate change. On the one side, those elements, carbon specifically, that drive a warming climate, but also on the other side, the consequences of the warming that has occurred and the dynamic changes that will occur into the future because of, of what has already occurred and will continue to occur over the next several decades. So aligning the response mentality of, of all the aforementioned agencies is imperative. It really is because it's it's got to change from what it's been and stop incentivizing reoccupation of lands that should be considered to be temporary. That's a yeah, great point. Uh, just the, the, I love that line, the reoccupation of lands that are inevitably or intended to be temporary. Um, we need to make sure that we are thinking about where the coast will be in 50 and 100 years from now, not where it has been. Uh, and that's probably something we always should have been doing, uh, even without climate change and sea level rise. The coast is a dynamic system, but certainly with sea level rise, it becomes even more imperative. Um, and yes, the idea that this is this is not just a, um, you know, coastal engineers, you know, this is more than just NOAA and, and Department of Interior and Army Corps working on it. This is going to be something that uh, Department of Transportation and, and human re uh, you know, housing and urban development um, and, and similarly at a state level, right? It's not just going to be your, your coastal programs. Obviously, the, the state coastal programs lead this effort, but they're going to need to integrate with um, with whatever their state transportation offices are too. Uh, Rachel, speaking of the states on this, um, we don't specifically have a call for states to address this broadly, but is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to share or bring up around how uh, state coastal programs can 
be working with some of these federal agencies to address uh, migrating uh, coastlines? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the coastal zone management programs um, are actively engaged in um, addressing coastal issues of all sorts. And so, and they're actively working with the federal agencies. So I think that they're definitely the right people to be on tap to be working on this issue. Um, and I, I'd, I'd add to that, I think a lot of them have uh, either are or have planning departments. I know one of the past presidents of Coastal States Organization, Leo Asuncion, was actually the, the head of the, the planning office and planning was more than just coastal planning. It, um, although in a state like Hawaii, it's hard to imagine that there's much planning that's being done that isn't somewhat related to coastal. So, um, well, uh, thank you all for listening. I think we've probably reached the end of this. Hopefully this piqued your curiosity on, uh, on what ASBPA and CSO are, are advocating in terms of uh, development, coastal development. So do check out our joint policy on beach and inlet management on either the ASBPA or Coastal States website. Um, and I hope you have had a chance to listen to our previous uh, our, our previous segments on sediment management, on uh, permitting and funding. And I hope you'll tune into our next segment on coastal uh, research and science. Thanks so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm.